Good morning, friends. How we doing? So I don't know if you were like me growing up. Um, probably not. Um, <laughs> praise the Lord. But uh, like, depending on the day, but usually most days growing up, especially in the summer, you know, you wake up, you get something to eat, and then uh, and then we were gone, right? I mean, we were just we were just out, um, and uh, most uh, most of my being gone during the day, you know, like until, you know, until the streetlights came on or, you know, whatever your, whatever your rule of time to be home was, you know, whatever that was. But my, my days were filled up with a lot of wiffle ball. I mean, we, we played a lot of wiffle ball. We, you know, we were blessed in our friend group to have a bunch of guys that had different yards that were, that were conducive um, to wiffle ball. Now, uh, those yards didn't all look the same. Right. And so depending on whose yard happened to be available or, or uh, uh, whose yard was in the best shape that day or or whatever, um, we go to their house and uh, that yard, that particular yard had its own set of ground rules. Right. Because they look different now. I mean, there, there were there were constants. Right. Like, I mean, you know, regardless of whose yard you're playing in, if, if you hit the ball over the fence, it's a home run. I mean, that's that's constant. That doesn't change, right? I mean, if you uh, if if you strike out if you strike out in, in, in wiffle ball, I mean the ground. I mean the constant is you are ridiculed mercilessly, and then you're out. Uh, those two go together. Uh, those were the ground. I mean that didn't change. It didn't matter whose yard we were in. That was that was the same. We had to cross plate. Had to cross on plate to get a run. You know all these kind of things. But there were some things that were like ground rules for different yards that we play in. We played, uh, we had, we had one guy had a, had a, a great, um, a great middle yard. Uh, and then there were, then there were trees on both sides. So that, that was like narrow field, right? So we played, we played a lot of home run derby on that field because, you know, having, there's no foul territory. I mean, you're just going into trees. Um, and, uh, after a while you learn, you don't, I mean, you don't know it the first time, but you learn pretty quick. That's a bad activity, right? And so you, you, you don't want to run headlong into trees. So that's, that yard was kind of home run derby. It's like, it's like wiffle bowling, you know, it's just straight down the lane there. And, um, but we had another guy who had a, had a great yard. Um, and, uh, he had a, he had a, uh, a big tree right in the middle, like right in the middle, right behind, uh, right, right behind the, uh, the pitcher's area thing. It wasn't a mound. I mean, it's just a clump of grass, but so right behind that was a tree and it was a big tree. It's like, like, like very full, you know, lots of leaves. And so obviously still, if you hit the ball over the fence, home run, but if you hit it in the, in the big tree, um, if you, if you hit it above the second row of branches, home run, if you hit it below the, below the second row of branches, ground rule double. And you just had to stand there and wait for the ball to fall out of the tree. Um, also in that yard, when you got to first base, the yard went downhill like that. And so you could run through first base because you couldn't help it. And I'm pretty sure that's why they do that in major league baseball. It's because you just can't help it. But the rest of them, you got to whatever. So, uh, so ground rule double or home run, but if it goes over the fence, you know, still home run. Uh, and then there were other things like, um, uh, you know, depending on the yard, uh, could, could you get somebody out by uh, hitting them with the ball? Like, could you throw it at them, right? Like, you don't have to tag them. You could just beat them with it, right? Uh, and so that kind of depends on, um, on the yard that we were in. And subset of that one is, could you hit them in the face and it count? 
Uh, and that really didn't so much depend on the yard that we were in. That was more, con- uh, that was, that was more contingent on whether or not mom was home, right? So if m- mom's home, shoulder to knees, mom's not home, peg him in the face. It's okay. It's okay. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we just sort of had to, we just sort of had to check out what yard we were playing in that given day. And those were the, those were the ground rules we were playing by. We get to Daniel chapter six, Daniel's been in exile. Uh, uh, spoiler, we're in Daniel chapter six. Um, we get to Daniel chapter six, Daniel's been in exile for almost 70 years. Uh, and so if we, uh, if we assume, and I, it's a good assumption, but if we assume that Daniel was probably in his mid-teenage years, maybe late teenage years, but probably mid-teenage years when he was taken into Babylonian captivity with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and some of the, the, the elite choice uh, leadership caliber guys that, that the Babylonians decided to take, then uh, at this point in chapter 6, Daniel's in his mid-80s. Um, and all of that time, Daniel has been under and thrived under, through the Lord's provision, Babylonian rule. Well, at the end of five, at the end of Daniel chapter five, we see that um, Belshazzar's rule has come to an end. You know, we get the writing on the wall, your rules, you know, you've been measured and found wanting and, you know, not much, not much more time for you. And then by the end of the chapter, he's gone. And so when we begin chapter 6, we see that it pleased Darius, okay? So we've got, we've got a new king, and Darius is not Babylonian. And Darius is not Babylonian because between chapter 5 and chapter 6, the Medes and the Persians have, taken, have conquered Babylon and taken over uh, Babylonian lands, including the Israelites that were in captivity. So all of a sudden, we're in somebody else's yard, We've got new ground rules. And through the first five chapters, we've watched the Lord uh, manifest his sovereignty through the life of Daniel. We've watched, uh, we've watched Daniel uh, boldly proclaim uh, his allegiance to the Lord, boldly demonstrate his faithfulness to the Lord. Um, you know, ch- ch- chapter one, um, you're going to be Babylonian now. You're going to eat Babylonian food, be named after the Babylonian God. You're going to uh, be taught Babylonian literature. You're going to grow in Babylonian wisdom. And Daniel's like, nope. Let me, ha- let me and my guys have the stuff that we've been eating. Let us study what we've been studying. See if we don't turn out better. And lo and behold, they did. So promotion. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, you're great leaders. All you have to do is bow down to this, this thing that we constructed uh, whenever you hear the, you know, at the, at the sound of the tone, you know, here's the thing. Nope, not going to do it. We only worship our God. Um, okay, we're going to throw you in a furnace. And the Lord delivers them. They grow in prominence in, Babel, in the Babylonian structure. God interpreted a dream. None of, the, none of the Babylonian guys can interpret it. Okay, well, none of you guys can interpret it. We're going to kill all of you. Daniel said, nope, my God can do it. So great, hey, I hear you can interpret the dream. Nope, my God can do it. And he saved the lives of all those people by interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So we watch Daniel and his friends stand for how the Lord has called them, stand for how the Lord has uh, has worked through them, stand for the truth uh, of, of their God, not the God of the Babylonians, and we've watched them prosper. 
for five chapters. So we get to chapter 6. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. That's not new. We've heard satraps before. Uh, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one. Also not new. We've seen Daniel grow uh, in prominence and rank. To whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. But then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So this is what Daniel has become known for, right? Daniel has, has demonstrated, has become known as a man of faith. He's become known as someone who is devoted to the God of Israel, who worships the God of Israel, who has standard and consistent practice observing the law of the God of Israel. And he's become known for this throughout the Babylonian Empire. And because David was consistent in his devotion to God, Daniel was known to be a great man of God. Um, Nothing corrupted his character, right? So these guys, so we're on a new playing field, and all these guys that Daniel had been given rank over, all these guys that Daniel had been given authority over, got together and they're like, hey, if we're ever, if we're ever gonna get Daniel out of here, and if we're ever gonna get promotion to the place of prominence that he has, this is the time. New rules, new king, new empire, everything's on the table. We, we, I mean, everything's in front of us. We, we just gotta figure out how to make it happen. All right, all right, how are we going to do it? And they get, they get in their little circle, they get in their huddle. How are we going to do it? What kind of, what kind of smear campaign are we going to run to discredit Daniel? And they're all just looking at each other and they're like, nothing. I mean, I got, I got, I got nothing. The guy's, the guy's outstanding. And if we didn't hate him so much, we'd probably love him. I mean, he's, he's great. He's faithful. He does what he's supposed to do. He's a good worker. He's great at, he's great at his job. He's got attention to detail. I mean, if, 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 we want to, if we want to be honest about it, he's actually saved us from getting killed a couple of times because he interpreted the dream we couldn't. I mean, the guy's fantastic. So nothing, I mean, there's nothing corrupt or broken about him. Now, just think for a second. If you were a new ruler taking over a new people and you found among that leadership that you were stepping into men that you could trust, who had good reputations, who were good at what they did, and were free from corruption. If you could find government officials that were, that were free from corruption and full of integrity and trustworthy, don't, don't you think you would be thrilled to find those people? I mean, don't you think in our society we would be thrilled to find somebody like that? And so Darius coming into, uh, coming into power over new people, when he, when he encounters Daniel, he's, yeah, I'm keeping him. I'm keeping him because not only has he not caused any problem being in captivity, but he's, he's led well, and those that he's led have prospered. So I, I'm, I'm keeping him. And the satraps are like, yeah, we, we, I mean, we got nothing on him we got to come up with something else. Okay, well, I mean, 
What else does Daniel do? Well, I mean, the only, the only thing we can think of is that the God that he worships is not the God of the Medes and the Persians. And he wasn't the God of the Babylonians. And Daniel's been faithful to him this whole time. So look, if we're going to find a point, of, uh, a, a point of conflict between Daniel and this new regime, if we're going to find any end to this at all, it's going to be through his faith. It's going to be in his allegiance to his God. So we've got to come up with something there. Yeah, 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 good, good plan. That's good, that's good thinking. What are we going to do? 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 All right, so they come up with this plan. Then these high officials, that conversation probably went exactly like that, by the way. If you read the Hebrew behind the text, it's, you know, it's, it's not there at all. So um, then uh, these high officials and satraps came by agreement, uh, even if it was, I couldn't read it, to the king and said to him, um, <clears throat> O King Darius, live forever. They don't mean that. They would be perfectly happy if, you know, something happened to him too, and they could step into that role. They, I mean, that's just but I guess to get heard by the king, that's what you have to say. So all of the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the government and the governors uh, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Does it seem like to you that King Darius is in charge here? No. I mean, the satraps are the ones who are gathered around him, and they're telling him what to do. And, you know, you, you can understand why this is. Again, new guy coming in, right? There's a new king coming in. He's looking for opportunities to lead the people that he's taking over to... to uh, as quickly as possible, take away any opportunities of rebellion or pulling away. So if I, if I, can, if I can get buy-in from my leaders, if I can find opportunity for that, I'm in for it. And so he says, uh, when, when these guys come to him, they say, hey, king, live forever. Um, we have an idea. You need to make a law and sign, sign it into, you know, sign it into being, I don't know what the word I want there, but, but you know, sign it into, uh, into happening, and um, here's what your law is going to say. Nobody worships you or prays, nobody worships anybody or prays to anybody for 30 days except you. You are the most important person. You are the highest point of worship for them for 30 days. It's pretty good. I mean, I I want to be that. That, 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 that appeals to me. I, I, I like being powerful. I am the king. Um, yeah, okay. Where's paper? Yep, here, just, just sign. Done. And he's got to be thinking, man, this, is a, this takeover thing is going pretty good. I mean, I got a guy with, with great integrity. I got a guy that, that there's no corruption in. I got a guy I can depend on. And all these guys think I'm great. They want me to be the ultimate point of worship in their lives. That's fantastic. This week's going awesome. And, but then it wasn't. So let's hang on to that for just a second. Daniel was known to be a man of God. 
It's interesting to me in this little section. If, if you go back and you read chapter 4 and chapter 5, we've been walking through it. But if you go back and read, uh, you remember that, uh, that Daniel was given a different name? Do you remember when the, when the Babylonians took him over? You remember they, they gave him the name uh, Belteshazzar. It's a, it's, a, it's a name that would have ascribed him to the service and devotion of the God of the Babylonians, one of the gods of the Babylonians, Belteshazzar. You don't see that name in, in, in chapter 6. What you do is you see it replaced by this phrase, this Daniel. This Daniel. So his reputation as belonging to the God of Israel has become prominent again. Look, there's no point in us calling him by the name of the Babylonian gods. It's clear who this guy's God is. It's clear what his, uh, what his highest priority, priority is. It's clear who his worship goes to, so we're going to make a law. And we're going to draw a line in the sand and say, you're either for us or you're against us. And if you're against us, bad things are going to happen. So here's what's going to happen. These officials uh, come to him and say, we're going to throw him in the, in, in the lion's den. And so because Daniel was a man of faith, because Daniel was consistent in his pursuit of God, not only was he known as a man of faith, he also knew exactly where to turn when crisis came. He knew exactly where to turn when crisis came. So this is what happens. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he, where he closed the windows and barred the doors and stayed in there for 30 days. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he snuck out in the middle of the night, left the country, and went to hide in the desert for 30 days until the edict was over. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he put his head down, covered his face, so nobody would know who he was. He lowered his voice, and he went about his business in private and secret. None of those things happened. The text says that when Daniel knew that the document had passed, had been signed, had gone into effect, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Think about how you respond to crisis. It would have been very easy and very tempting for Daniel to say, um, okay, Lord, um, you know, uh, I'm with you, um, and I, I've been faithful, but look, this is a short-term thing. It's only 30 days, so look, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to take a little time off. I'll be back in 30 days. So, you know, you, you, just, you, know, you just keep on doing what you do, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of... I'm just going to kind of lay low for 30 days. I'm going to let this, I'm, I'm going to let this pass. So I, look here, I'm, <clears throat> I'm, just going to, I'm just going to put on pause my devotion to you. I'm going to put, in, put on pause my, uh, my uh, examples of faithfulness and devotion to you for 30 days. And then when this is all over, once I get my things straight, once I get my, you know, once I get my, once I get my stuff together, once I get my act straight, once I get everything in place like it's supposed to be, then I'll come back to you. 
once it's safe, right? So look, Lord, uh, I, I don't know if you know, you're paying attention. Of course you are. Um, but look, life just got really difficult. Life just got really hard, completely unexpected, out of the blue, but life just got really hard, and it's not going to change for at least 30 days. So look, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just going <clears> to <throat> handle this. So, you know, you do you, I'll do me, I'll handle this for 30 days, and once, once my life gets back to where I want it, once I'm back in power, once I'm back on top, once I'm, once I'm back running at full speed, then I'll come back to you. That wasn't Daniel's response. His response was to keep doing what he had done day in and day out. Let me give you another opportunity, for, uh, another idea of a potential way that we respond to crisis. Uh, Lord, uh, I genuinely don't know if you're paying attention because we don't talk very much, but uh, life just got really hard and it's going to stay that way for the next 30 days. So... Um, you know, I know we're not, you know, that I don't really do this, but if you could work this out, I'll tithe next month. Lord, if you could, if you could just kind of, if you could just kind of work this out, I'll sign up for a rotation at the coffee station. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't really know what you're going to do. I don't know how this works. Uh, we get, but if you can just do something here. If you can just intercede and get me through this difficult time. And after that, things will go back to normal. That is also not what Daniel does. And I think one of the, thing, one of the issues that we run into when we, uh, when we read um, stories in the Bible that we're familiar with, you know, I mean, because, right, right, I mean, you guys have been hearing Daniel on the lines, Dan, since, I mean, since you were little, right? If you, if you, if you, if you were in preschool and in and, and, and church or, you know, if you grew up in the, you, you've heard Daniel on the lines, Dan, since, I mean, since you were palm-sized, And when you hear those sto this story that many times, it becomes easy for us to go, oh, Daniel on the lines did. Yeah, I know the story. You know, Daniel gets, yeah, and he gets thrown in the thing, and then he comes out, okay, it's a great story. Awesome. Go, Daniel. And we don't really actually read. Reading the words, it's kind of important. It's kind of, it's helpful, really, because you, 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 don't, you don't remember, you don't remember details. You don't remember all the details. You remember, like, over, overall things. And so there, there's, a, there's a line here that if we don't pay attention to and we miss it, uh, we miss something really important. It's at the end of verse 10. He got down on his knees uh, three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. There is a habit in Daniel's life here. There's consistency in Daniel's life. And we've seen it since he was a teenager in chapter 1 until he's in his 80s in chapter 6, there is consistency to do what he had previously done, seeking time and spending time 
with his God. And developing and investing in a communion, a relationship with God, so that when crisis comes for Daniel, he knows exactly what to do. He does what he's always done. Because crisis, crisis doesn't change things, it magnifies things. And so this crisis that Daniel has stepped into here of, hey, they say I can't pray or worship or petition or, anything, or engage you in any way, or I'm going to be thrown in the lion's den doesn't mean that Daniel changes who he is. It means it magnifies who he's always been. And so Daniel does as he has previously done. So, okay, so let me just, let me just play sort of a, a two-way conversation between me and you. Um, you might be thinking, well, look, I, I mean, if I'm just really honest... I'm not real strong in the as I have previously done category. I mean, you know, I, 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 I guess you probably are because, you know, you went to seminary, you got a job in a church, you know, and, and, and you, got the, you, know, you got that direct line to God. So, you know, you just got that, you got that special phone, you got him on speed dial. You, and, and so, you know, they give you those when you graduate seminary. It's, it's, in, the, it's in the diploma pack. Uh, it's not. And look, lots of times we're not... We're not better at this than you are. It's not, it, as I had previously done, is not automatic. It's a learned and practiced lifestyle. You have to work at it. You learn to listen to the voice of God by working at listening to the voice of God. You learn to abide in Christ by abiding in Christ. You learn to trust Him by intentionally putting your trust in Him and sticking to your guns over and over again and watching how He honors His promises. It's, it's, it's something that you learn by doing, like most everything else in your life. You learn to drive by doing Driving, that's a terrible sentence, uh, but you learn to drive by driving. You learn sports by practicing sports. That's why you don't just play games. That's why you have practice so you get better. This is the same thing. It's intimacy with God, closeness with God, learning to have an as I've, already, uh, as I've previously done means that I've practiced it. It doesn't mean that I started great at it. Like, let's just, let's just say that <clears throat> the Lord's been placing on your heart a desire to use your spiritual gifts in service in the church and to the community around you. But there's only, there's only two issues. Uh, I, okay, look, so I haven't talked to anybody. I'm, I'm, this is completely making this up. So, you, but you have two issues. One, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. Two, I don't know how to use the ones that I got. Try it. Serve somewhere. See if you like it. If you hate it, 
probably not a spiritual gift for you. If you can't get enough of it, probably a spiritual gift for you. Well, how do I know? You try it. It's like kale. I mean, I mean, well, okay, well, that's a bad example. Everybody knows you're going to hate kale, but strawberries. How do you know you like strawberries? Try a strawberry. How do you know you're allergic to bees? Get stung. I'm not recommending that. That's not, I'm just saying, that's a direct correlation. So you say, well, well I, I, want, I want what Daniel's got. I want a life that walks in consistency. I want a life that when crisis comes, he knows exactly where to go. He does the same thing he's always done, and he trusts the Lord. I want a life that does that automatically. Lives don't do that automatically. You purpose yourself intentionally to start there. For you, me, everybody else, doesn't matter. Pastor to pagan, all the way down, does not matter. Our default when crisis comes is to take it all up in our hands, take it on ourselves, and do it ourselves. It's our default. But it robs us of hope, and it robs us the joy of companionship with the Lord. Daniel did as, he's already, as, as he had previously done. So look, let's just say <clears throat> conversation part B. Well, you know, I, 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 tried, I try to be consistent, but I struggle with it. Join the club. You know, I had a Bible reading plan, and then I got to Leviticus. You know what happens when you get to Leviticus. And, and now it's in 2 Peter, and I've missed like 50 books. Start with 2 Peter. You know, just because you miss a day, don't take a week off commiserating about missing a day. Pick it back up. Begin your as previously done right now. Here's the other thing I'll promise you. When you do that, and you begin to think, I need to do that. I need to, I need to start my as he has previously done moment. I need to start that right now that you're immediately going to hear in the back of your head, right behind your ear. You can't do that. You know you don't have the discipline to do that. Look, every time you've tried to do that, you stunk at it. You can't do that. There are only, there are only two possible sources. I don't know if you know this. There are only two possible sources for voices like that that you hear. There's two sources. God and not God. Now, which one do you think that voice is? Do you, do you, do you think that it's the God who breathed the word so that you could know him? Who, who, who sent his son to, to put on flesh and walk in front of us? Uh, John chapter 1 says so that we would that we would know what God is like? Is, do, you, do you think that voice comes from the self-revealing God that wants to be known? 
that wants to be in communion with you, that wants to be loved and wants to show you love? Do you think that voice comes from that God? Of course not. It goes against everything we know about God's character. So if that voice isn't from God, it's from not God. And just as a general rule of thumb, you don't want to build a habit of listening to the not God voice. So when you go to start my as I previously done moment, and you hear the voice that says, you can't do that. You're no good at that. You've stunk at that every time. You drop the ball. You lose your, nerve, you lose, you, you lose your discipline. You, you lose your rhythm. You, you, you know, one thing happens in the road and you get thrown completely off course and you just stop. You can't do this. What makes you think? Stop listening. That's not God. God is telling, God is telling you, pick up and read. really short. One of my favorite books, if you haven't read it, man, I I so wish you would. Uh, One of my favorite books is um, The Confessions by St. Augustine. Uh, You guys ever read that? Good. Um, That means there's a whole lot of you that need to go on Amazon and buy it. All right, so um, uh, when uh, when Augustine, who, I mean, Augustine, man, he was was brilliant. I mean, he he was the pinnacle of of academic success, appointed to professorships all over Europe uh, by the the time he was late teens, early 20s. I mean, he he was brilliant. He had had a group of friends that were all brilliant, professors uh, together, and um, and, but, but he was deeply insightful and deeply introspective. And um, he tried all these different things trying to fill this hole he had that, that he couldn't seem to fill with anything else. He just felt empty all the time. He tried all these different religions, Manichaeism, and all this stuff. He tried, and it just, it just keeps feeling, leaving me empty. And one, he tells a story one time about stealing pears uh, and says that... Um, so what I learned from that is that I didn't steal the pears because I was hungry, because I already I wasn't. Uh, two, because they were good pears. I actually had better pears already at my house. I just stole them because I loved to sin. And that grabbed him. And so he, he sort of convinced himself he was going to go hear this communicator named Ambrose. Uh, and, and he was a preacher. And he was going to go listen to Ambrose preach because it would be a good academic pursuit in learning communication style. And so he goes to sit under the teaching of Ambrose, and slowly as he's sitting under the teaching of Ambrose, the Lord starts opening his heart to the gospel. And so on Easter, a couple of, uh, 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 a couple of years, I think, uh, later, uh, um, Augustine, and, and actually his housemate, who's also a professor named Olypius, uh, Augustine and Olypius are feeling the Lord tug at them to convert to Christ. And, and the Confessions of St. Augustine, he, he, he writes this, this great account where he's actually having a conversation with his temptation, with the things that, te- and, and it's, it's telling him, you can't do this. You can't live without us. Do you really mean to try and separate yourself from the pleasures and the things that we have to offer you? You'll be miserable. You can't live without us. You can't, you can't, you can't. And Augustine is wrestling with his temptations, telling him, you can't, you can't, you can't, over and over and over again. 
And then he hears in another part of the garden at this house where he and Olypius lived. They're both struggling at the same time with converting to Christ. Uh, it's, it's really awesome. You just need to go read it. You need to go read it. I'm going to kill it here, but you need to go read it. And so he, um, uh, Augustine is uh, sitting in the garden and he hears some kid, what he thinks are children next door playing, um, singing over and over again, take up and read, take up and read, take up and read. And he said, and it's, 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 it's awesome, he, he writes, he said, and I began thinking to myself, is there a child's game that involves reciting the words take up and read? And I couldn't think of it, I couldn't think of any, so I picked up the scriptures and I read. And in reading the scriptures, when he picked it up, God opened his eyes and he was immediately converted. You got to read it. You, you just got to read it. So that, that's your job this week. I mean, that's... that's I mean, that you just, that's your homework. Just go, go get Augustine's confessions and read it. And so look, Augustine could very easily have said, I, mean, I don't know. I'm no, I'm no good at giving up temptation. Temptation's ruled me my whole life. I've tried to walk away from it. I'm no good at it. I may as well just consign myself to the fact that I'm going to be stuck in, t- in temptation for the rest of my life. He could have said that. Or he could have started his as previously done moment right there. Which he did. And it's not an understatement to say that the Lord used that to change all of Christendom. So look, man, this is your moment. This is your as pre this is where as previously done can start for you. So they, they come and find Daniel. Then these men, verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den? Of course, they know that. They were there when he did it, so that's a rhetorical question. The king answered and said, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day, not to you. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Do you think it's odd that we don't see Daniel's voice in this? Uh, we, we don't hear anything from Daniel. Like, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like Darius is more worried about this than Daniel is. I mean, you know, Darius is like, oh, man, I mean, Daniel's my best guy. I mean, he, he's done nothing wrong. He's been above reproach the whole time. And I've, I've, just, I've, just, I've just consigned him to being eaten by lions. I mean, I've seen people eaten by lions. I know what that looks like. It's horrible. Kings had their own lion's dens all the time. It was kind of a sport of kings back in ancient days to go hunt lions and then keep them in a den for, you know, just such an occasion. So, look, I've seen this happen. I know it's terrible, and I've just, I've just I mean, I just put my best guy in the den with the lions. 
And so I, I got to figure this out. I got to get a way out of this. But we, we've already been told multiple times in the text, the laws of the Medes and the Persians cannot be revoked. And so after a day deliberate, deliberating, these guys come back. They say, no, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, by the way, which you signed, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was, was brought and cast in the den of lions. The, the king declared, Darius, the pagan king of the Medes and the Persians, says to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. The idea here is that there would be two entrances to the den. There's one um, that's more on level ground where, they, uh, um, uh, where, they, uh, where the lions go in, where the lions can walk in. And then there's one at the top that you just drop people in. Uh, and so they would, they would close the one, since you know, lions can't fly, they wouldn't worry about that one up there, but they, they close the one at the back so the lions can't get out. And so they put Daniel in, they made sure to seal that one with a stone so there's no way for Daniel to get out. So a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the, spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fed from him. I don't want to hear from anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to be entertained. I don't want to be distracted. I'm, I'm completely consumed with what's happening to Daniel because it's my fault. And he's worried. Rightly so, it's lions. Verse 19. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Because remember, that's how you say hello to kings. Live forever. O king, live forever. Uh, my God sent his angel. I did nothing. I did nothing. My God sent his angel. And shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Because Daniel was a man who was consistent in his devotion, not only was he known for being a man of faith, not only did he know where to turn in a crisis, he also knew to whom his praise was due. Well, I didn't do nothing. I mean, I should have been devoured. But the Lord, isn't that the theme of Daniel's life that we've seen so far? But the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord sent his angel and shut the, lion, uh, the, the mouths of the lions. So look, since, since you and I have been hearing this story since we were tiny, let me tell you this, this story is not about the lions. This story is not about the lions. Now, for you and me, it's easy for us to recognize the lions because it's, it's a big event, right? I mean, 
not, eat, not getting eaten by lions is a big event. You know, and it's easy for us to point out and say, hey, he should have been eaten by, he should have been eaten by hungry lions, yet he wasn't eaten by hungry lions. God must have done something. Because he couldn't have done anything, man. I mean, he's not going to be able to withstand a pack of hungry lions. I mean, that, that's an easy one for us to say. God must have interceded. But I'm telling you, this story is not about the lions because in the dens that you and I live in on a daily basis, it's usually not lions that we're fighting. It's more subtle things, more subtle temptations. But what we see about the sovereignty of God over the mouths of the lions tells us that God is also sovereign over the things in our den that we wrestle with day in and day out. It doesn't matter what your lions are or what my lions are, and it doesn't matter what your den looks like. Your den den could be a a C-level business conference room. Your den could be a school classroom or hallway or locker room. Your, your den could be a, a kitchen table that has a budget and a calendar spread out over it. Your, your den could be a list of relationships. And the influence that's exchanged between those relationships. Your den is going to be different than my den. Because we're in different yards and we have different ground rules. But again, there's always something constant. It doesn't matter if it's in your yard or my yard or your ground rules or my ground rules. The thing that's constant is God is sovereign over all of it. This story is not about lions. It's about, it's about the sovereignty of God over the lions. It's about the sovereignty of God over the lion that we hear about in the New Testament who prowls around looking for someone to devour, who steals, kills, and destroys, who wants to destroy you. And it's also about the Lion of Judah that is greater. So look, when, when we read Daniel in the lion's den, man, it's a, it's a great story. I mean, and, and the, the literal historical part of it, strong story. Not getting eaten by lions because God said, nope, not happening. Strong story. But I'm telling you, there's a story that goes beyond that. Because there was another man who was falsely accused, sentenced to die, placed in a cave sealed with a stone, not intended to come out, and did. His name is Jesus.
And when he came out, he wasn't defeating physical lions. He was defeating death and hell so that you could walk in freedom, so that I could walk in freedom, so that I could know communion with the Lord, so that I could have an as he previously done, as he had previously done moment. And today, man, if you don't have that moment in your life, this is your day. This is absolutely your day. It's not an accident you're here. God's sovereign over that too. He brought you here for a reason. Today is your day. Let me encourage you and exhort you to take hold of it and live in it. Let me pray for you. Father, we, uh, we love you and we thank you for, uh, for what, we, what we learn about you through Daniel. For how you've chosen to reveal yourself as sovereign and protective and, and as a deliverer. And as one who honors the faithfulness of his people. As one who, who stands in crisis with his people. As one who is there. Always, whatever the season. And Father, I, I pray for all of us in this room today, for those of us who need to start a day that begins there as previously done day. Father, whatever obstacles holds them back from that, I pray that you tear them away. Whatever contrived objection they have to say, nope, I'll put it off till next week, I'll put it off till next season, I'll put it off till next year. Make today their day. Take it away. Bring them into freedom. Bring them in to grace. Bring them into rejoicing in you. Bring them into life in you. Make today their day. Not just for their good, but also for your glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So look, we're going to close in worship. And as we're doing that, man, if today's your day, whatever that next spiritual step is for you, whether that spiritual step for you is joining a, joining a church and getting connected into community group and walking with people that it can encourage your spiritual growth and be with you in those times with the Lord, or whether that's saying yes to Jesus for the first time ever. Whatever your day is today, let it be today. And be faithful to what he's calling you to do. If you want to come pray, I'll pray with you here. If you want to pray at the altar, you're welcome to do that. Whatever you feel like the Lord's leading you to do, take care of it today. Because he is for you, he is with you, and he's called you to be his.